Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from our triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The word of God for our meditation on this Reformation Sunday is taken from Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter 2, reading there verses 8 and 9. It is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This is the word of our God. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, usually when we talk about savoring something, we're talking about food or drink. To savor means to taste something carefully and to enjoy it completely. For example, a medium-rare filet mignon served with a smoked bacon butter crust. A nice oaky cabernet from the Napa Valley. Maybe a Madagascar bourbon vanilla creme brulee with a nice crust of caramelized sugar on top. At least these are the kinds of things that I think about savoring. Nobody really savors a McDonald's McDouble. Usually you eat that in your car and hope that nobody saw you and then you deal with the guilt and the indigestion for the rest of the day. Of course, it's not just food that people savor. The young mother of three busy toddlers has an entire hour to herself. So she goes to a coffee shop, orders herself a nice large cappuccino, plops down into a deep, comfortable leather chair with her favorite book, and just savors the peace and the quiet. A hunter walks out to his deer blind in a crisp fall morning, savoring the rustle of the leaves and the smell of the woods and the anticipation of the hunt. A grandma looks at the noisy crowd gathered in her living room, kids and grandkids ripping paper off of their presents, bathed in the twinkling lights of the Christmas tree, and just savors the rare joy of having everybody together under one roof at the same time. Today is a big day for us Lutherans. Today we celebrate the Reformation. Today we give thanks for the rediscovery and return of the pure gospel truth to God's church. This is a time for rejoicing. This is a time for giving thanks. This is a time for savoring. Now on the basis of God's word before us today, I want to encourage you to savor the solas. By the solas, I mean three Latin phrases that came out of the time of the Reformation, three phrases that beautifully summarize how God saves sinners. Sola gratia, by grace alone. Sola fide, by faith alone. Sola scriptura, by scripture alone. Isn't it something, my friends, how things that are truly amazing when you stop and think about it can become routine and boring and even mundane. For example, you drove to church this morning, you got into your car, you turned the key, you fired it up, and you drove here, and you probably didn't think twice about that wonderful technology that brought you here and what it takes to bring it all together. Now, the internal combustion engine, that's really old technology. And yet at the same time, it still works very well. And the comfort, the convenience, uh, the amazing technology that goes into our cars today, uh, it's just really astounding. But I bet you didn't give it so much as a second thought. Has grace become boring? 
because we're so very used to it. I mean, are we at times less than wowed by the good news of God's full and free forgiveness in Christ, his undeserved love for us sinners? What was the sermon about this morning, honey? Grace, again. Perhaps it will help us to remember just how utterly lost and hopeless we would be without the grace of our God. God's word makes very clear, of course, that we are sinners who deserve nothing but his wrath and his punishment. So what? Well, consider these words of God penned by his prophet Ezekiel. The one who sins is the one who will die. If you've ever seen the show Survivor Man on TV, then you probably know host Les Stroud's favorite bit of survival advice. And it goes like this. You sweat, you die. In other words, if you allow yourself to perspire in a winter weather survival situation, then you're going to get cold, you're going to get hypothermia, and you're probably going to freeze to death. Well, our God gives us a little piece of survival advice. He says, you sin, you die. It's that simple. The wages of sin is death. And we're not just talking about that hole in the ground into which our casket is going to be placed years from now, sometime in our futures. We're talking about that eternal death of hell, the eternal shame and regret of being separated from God's presence forever and ever. But I'm not really that bad of a sinner. That's how our sinful nature argues in this situation. I'm not really that bad of a sinner. I mean, I haven't murdered anybody. Oh, but we sure can be good at harboring hard feelings and hatred in our hearts. Well, it's not like I've cheated on my husband, but, but those thoughts that march through our minds, those lustful thoughts that come there so often... I don't beat up on my wife, but sometimes, my friends, we are guilty of using words that cut like razors. We don't like to hear this, my friends, but the simple truth of the matter is that we are miserable, sinful wretches, damnable sinners, every last one of us. And if we rely on the I'm not so bad defense, well, then we will for sure be condemned to an eternity of hell where there isn't even hope of hope. Again, my friends, I don't want to bore you, but are you ready to hear about grace again? I know I am because I need that grace so desperately. Grace is perhaps the Bible's most important word. It's kind of like a little Swiss army knife. You know, there's a lot packed into just a, a little tiny package, a single syllable in which, my friends, we find everything that the sinner needs. Because, you see, this one little word, grace, tells us exactly what our God thinks about us. He loves us. Now, let's be clear. God doesn't love us because we are lovable. He doesn't love us because we have somehow earned or deserved his love. Uh, he doesn't love us uh, for anything that's in us. He loves us quite simply because he is love. The very personification and definition of love itself. Again, there's nothing in us that invites his love, nothing about us that he would find attractive. It all comes from one side. It all comes from him. He loves us because he loves us. 
That's grace. Now, this grace is not just a beautiful idea or a sweet emotion. Grace is, by definition, an action. In grace, God acted to save us. God himself left his holy throne and all his glory behind in heaven, took on our flesh, and made a humble feeding trough his first cradle. That's grace. The God-man, Jesus Christ, walked humbly under God's law, obeyed it perfectly at every point, and now gives us the credit for having done so. That is grace. The God-man climbed onto a cross, stretched out his arms and his legs to receive those nails, shed blood that is of infinite value, bowed his head willingly in death to pay not only for our sins, but for the sins of the entire world. That's grace. The God-man himself lay cold and dead in a tomb over that weekend, Friday, Saturday, but on Sunday morning... On Sunday morning, he burst from that tomb fully, bodily alive. He was glowing with victory. He was filled with life, both of which he shares with us so that we have our God's forgiveness and friendship. We have peace and life and salvation now and forever. That's grace. My friends, revel in it, rejoice in it, savor it. It is by grace you have been saved. But how does all this grace and what God did for us in grace become our own? How do we personally get the forgiveness and life that our Lord Jesus won for us? Paul answers that question. He says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Now, I suppose we better define faith because, honestly, there are all kinds of wrong definitions swirling around us in our world today. I mean, to the world, faith is just positive vibes, good feelings. You know, you just got to have faith. You just got to believe. Faith, as defined by the world, is a rather mushy, unclear, nebulous emotion. When the Bible talks about faith, it's not nebulous. When the Bible talks about faith, it's talking about something very specific. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, Paul told the jailer in Philippi. And the Lord Jesus himself said, Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. A one-word definition for faith is trust. To have faith, to believe, is to trust in God's promises. To have faith, to believe, is to trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. That's faith, and it is a precious gift. That's what Paul tells us. This faith is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. In his explanation to the Apostles' Creed, Martin Luther wrote, I believe that I cannot, by my own thinking or choosing, believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. Faith is not our choice or decision. It is from beginning to end a precious gift from our God, once again prompted by his grace to give it to us. And through this tremendous gift, our God channels to us every blessing that the Lord Jesus in grace won for us. I want you to think of a starving man. 
He's so very weak from starvation that he can't even lift his arms to put food into his mouth. In fact, even if he could put food into his mouth, he's so weak he would not be able to chew it or swallow it. All he can do is lie there in a hospital bed starving. He needs nutrition. He needs nourishment. And probably the best way at that point to deliver it to him is by means of an IV, a bag of solution, nutrition, vitamins, minerals. Everything that he needs is plugged into his arm by means of a needle and a tube so that those life-saving calories can flow into his body. That's a good description of our situation naturally. Sin left us spiritually starving. There was nothing we could do about it. We couldn't feed or save ourselves. Jesus is the nourishment that we need. And my friends, if you will, the Spirit plugs us into that nourishment by means of the IV tube called faith. Again, that faith is the pipeline that delivers to us every blessing that Jesus won for us. Through faith, we have the forgiveness of our sins. Through faith, we have a new life, a life of peace and purpose and power for serving our God. Through faith, we have the sure and certain hope of eternal life in heaven. Katie Luther, the great reformer's wife, once gave her own little definition of faith, which I really like. She said, I will cling to Christ like a burr to a top coat. That's what faith does. It clings to Jesus Christ alone. My friends, you have this faith. Savor the Spirit's gift. You are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is no small thing. This is a tremendous blessing. Be glad and rejoice in it. One more question before us today. How did God give us this precious gift called faith? I mentioned the Spirit before. Did the Spirit just go around and, and kind of zap people with little lightning bolts from above? Or did faith come into our hearts because we were the ones who prayed hardest enough for it? Well, my friends, the Bible gives us a simple answer, an answer that you know well from your confirmation days. Faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. God uses the gospel, the good news about Jesus' love and forgiveness, to plant and to grow the gift of faith in human hearts. Does it really work? Have you ever seen an infomercial and wondered to yourself, does the product they're advertising to me, does it, does it really work? You're sitting up late at night and you're watching this commercial and you're wondering. Probably the most famous example would be Ginzu Knives. And some of you remember the commercials for Ginzu Knives. In the first scene of that commercial, they show one of these Ginzu Knives and it's sawing through a, a nail or a beer can or something like that. The very next scene, they show supposedly the same nice knife effortlessly slicing through a red ripe tomato. And you sit there and you wonder, does that really work? Are those knives really that good? And to be honest with you, my friends, I never ordered any, so I can't answer that question. But let me just say that I, I have my doubts. Does God's Word really work? I mean, this dusty old book, does it apply anymore? Isn't it just a collection of myths and fables? Does, does the Bible actually have the power to change hearts and lives? Millions of Christians all over the world are walking, talking, living, breathing proof of the power of God's Word. 
And all of you sitting there in those pews on this Reformation Sunday are also proof of the power of God's Word. And of course, this shouldn't surprise us, right? Because the Apostle Paul told us in the Word, he said that God's Word is like dynamite. It's powerful. It is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Yes, God's Word works. Through the Gospel message, whether we find that on the printed Word or in baptism or in Holy Communion, the Spirit is at work to change hearts and lives forever. Martin Luther once talked about the power of God's Word. He was really talking about this great reformation that had taken place in the church, all these amazing changes, these amazing things that had happened. And this is what he said. He said, I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's Word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And then when I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my friend Philip of Amsdorf, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that never a prince or emperor did such damage to it. I did nothing. The word of God did it all. My friends, why was there a Reformation? Why is there a Lutheran church today? Why are you and I all believers in our Lord Jesus Christ who trust in him alone for our salvation? It's all because of God's saving word. Sola gratia, sola fide, sola scriptura. We are saved by God's grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ alone which the Spirit works in our hearts through the gospel alone. My friends, these are the great truths of the Reformation. These are the truths that have been passed down from generation to generation all the way to us. These truths are our great heritage. Revel in them. Rejoice in them. Give thanks to God for them. And yes, savor the solas. Amen.